0: Okay, I'm here with James Urquhart at uh, CF Summit, just having a quick catch-up. And James, you had tweeted uh, a little while ago, which is kind of where our our side conversation came from. About, you know, if you're, you know, operating your platform as a product, what's your go-to-market strategy? And of course, you know, that's that got my attention (laughs) because I think about that kind of stuff all day long. So uh, I wanted to unpack that a little bit with you. Where does uh, where are you kind of coming from from the Thinking about, you know, a, a platform team inside a company. Their customers are just internal developers. Why should they be thinking about a go-to-market strategy?
1: Yeah. Well, um, so that came to me. The the concept of that came to me from sort of my background in product marketing and and building product. And I sort of looked around at the clients that I had. Um, Currently, and at the struggles that they were having in understanding how to engage their developer communities in a constructive way, um, so that uh, the value of what it is that they're offering um, could become clear. So, it starts with um, you know a little bit of a question about sort of what we mean by uh, platform as a product, and I think. Great podcast, uh, last podcast uh, on this topic with Patricia Uh, Paula Kennedy. Paula Kennedy, excuse me. So with Paula, I think she did a phenomenal job of sort of describing all that. So I won't go over it all, but the core of it was, you know, the concept that you need instead of a project manager and a project structure around things, you need a more of a product manager and somebody who's managing backlog and can be very flexible to change and can be very reactive and understanding what users really need in order to kind of move them forward to the next step. Um, And I like that a lot. um, But as I think about that problem and I try to map it to sort of what is it that you're actually offering if you're a platform team. it became too clear to me pretty early that uh, you're not stopping at just offering access to the platform. The platform has to do something more. And it just as so happened that I was asked to do some research into simplifying ways uh, to bring uh, software to production in large enterprises through uh, through Pivotal. Um, so we call that path to production. And in researching path to production kept finding myself bumping into a lot of the same questions and a lot of the same issues that I looked at when I was trying to help teams figure out how to do platform as a product. And so, it resulted with me kind of realizing that the go-to-market strategy for a platform team has to be about path to production as a service. It has to, it it really, the service that you're offering developers is a way to quickly yet within constraints as required get their software from development through testing and into production
0: so let's go back a little bit when you said you were running into the same issues as you were thinking through kind of the challenges of path to production what are some examples of the kinds of things that you were coming across that that reminded you to that same the same issues and challenges and mindset shift of right. the the product mentality around your platform?
1: So uh, it, w- the, the big area where there's overlap in the concepts is really in the dev built and, and, and deployment chain, right? The big overlap comes with not so much, um, it's not so much about the code itself, it's not so much about the deployment environment itself, although both of those things have to be compliant with certain roles as well. Um, but it really comes down to once I've written something, how do I move it through the process from I finished writing code, the concept is strong. Um, and actually it begins before that. To be really honest, if you think about the need to even identify whether a project is, you know, is worth investing in from a coding perspective, there are elements of path to production that start even earlier than that. For instance, you know, something that um, a website that broadcasts Wells Fargo's, um, you know, security keys, it would never, ever, ever be the right thing to start building, right? It, it would be something. So there's some path to production things where maybe helping teams understand um, and get so the pre approvals that they require to mm-hmm. determine whether building something makes sense might be part of the service. And I would argue is something to really think about. But the, the bigger part is once code's done, then okay it's more than just can i run it through automated testing unit testing um, integration testing system testing all that stuff it's also about um can i get it through the right approval processes and the right approval change in mm-hmm. the course of all those steps that i do in the right places and so what large companies struggle with is they've custom built those processes basically each development team my experience has been each development team has had to go out and discover what is their path to production yeah right they've had to go talk to all the teams and learn oh I also have to talk to legal oh, I've also got to talk to um, you know this team that uh, the accounting team because there's sort way of handling money or whatever and so th- that um, that that beginning to understand that chain becomes something where everybody ends up with a custom, you know, a, a custom build chain of some sort that um, involves human steps where they have to stop everything and go send everything off to, or write a document, for, 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 right? Mm. Take seven days to write a document to go send somebody else to wait another seven days for it to be approved. Um, and that's, Highly inefficient, and and that's the kind of thing that developers, the kind of toil that developers would really like to get rid of the most, right? That's the they've done their hard work, they just want stuff to to, you know, to be told if there's bugs or problems, compliance issues, whatever, and get those taken care of, and then get the stuff into production. That's,
0: so it's and it reminds me well. of you know listening to the Air Force actually about a year ago at CF Summit, where they were explaining basically that. I think it was something on the order of like 800 different controls that needed to be met in order for you right. know an you know Air Force developer to actually put their code into production. Right. And you know one of the things that the of course the cloud this was Cloud Foundry Summit, so Cloud Foundry was a big part of it. But I think it was to your point, you know, not just hey we've got some software and plugging it in. It was looking at hey this these are the 800 controls that you know, they have to deal with, how many of these can we tick off? I mean, some of the things that he mentioned were you have to make sure that there's like a fire extinguisher, like within 10 feet or I don't know, something like that, the proximity of a fire extinguisher to where the code was deployed, which you can imagine how difficult it is for a developer to actually provide assurance for that, Right. because it's like, I don't know where the fire <laughs> extinguishers are you know like in the data center I like
1: to ask the data center team to write me up a document right that then, include in my document and then of
0: course thing. it's like you know yeah. you're constrained Well, like I, now if if they want to move my code to a right. different server or a different rack I've got to now like do I need to go walk and take a few steps to like oh I'm outside of my 10 yeah. foot range, something yeah. like that right but that then became what they could encode in their Platform and in their offering, so there were only like forty or something controls at the end that the developers really had to deal with, which were probably all very specific to their code anyways, and much more manageable set.
1: Perfectly articulated. I think that's exactly the 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 value of the platform and the value of PCF and the sort plus the surrounding toolset that supports it is. That ability to tick off check marks and so many of the check marks are related to legal concerns, which are very simply making sure the wrong licenses don't get into Mm -hmm. the code base that that exposes risk, um, that the data is managed in a way that that, um, mitigates any sort of legal risk, right? there are things that the platform can completely remove from developer concern in those, those senses. Your PCI-compliant um, application, okay, these are the services that you have to consume, um, and those services will take care of making sure that data is distributed to the right places, not running geographies that they shouldn't be running. And, and you know that might be some work for the platform team to support that. Right. but that's the service. That's yeah. the service that's being offered.
0: So what's interesting is I think about you know, in some ways, you would imagine, gosh, like the Air Force has it the worst, or anything in government and military, Mm -hmm. it's gotta be the worst because it's so bureaucratic. But on the other hand, now you've got me thinking that, well, at least they probably had the 800 controls written down somewhere. And most enterprises, like, where do they even, you know, because it's so custom and it, you know, it didn't have to, you know, have a act of Congress to to pass. How do folks even begin to figure out? You, you mentioned you got to go talk to legal and talk to accounting. There is no list of the. It could be eight hundred controls in your enterprise, but right. no one actually knows because no one's written it so down. is that what you find? Banks
1: banks will have it written down. Okay. Right? So those that are regulated will generally have tons of information written down. My understanding is is that like a bank like Wells Fargo, they you know they have documentation about policy that is like six volumes of thousand pages each of written policy that needs to be considered, something like that. right? So you're talking about massive, massive amounts of information and you have people whose career at the company is to know what those documents are and what's in those documents and to help guide teams through that. So if you're building a new application, the first thing you have to do is to go find somebody who can help you interpret yeah. what the controls are, even though they're written down. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, I worked on a commercial application for a large, um, large cloud provider um, that, uh, in part, was selling going to sell, uh, you know, professional services type things. Um, and so, this provider you would, um, would think would have really easy commerce capability, and in fact, to get an e, you know, a, a transaction executed at the company, um, there were five different teams involved. Uh, each of them had a changing set of requirements because they were learning as they went about selling services, um, which was different than what they traditionally sold. And, um, and then, you know, including accounting, which had, you know, all kinds of crazy accounting practices because of different geographies around the world. Mm. So it was never simple. It was always something where, well, you know, rules, led to more rules, led to more rules. And so, now the the good news there is if there's a single interface between that complexity and the developer envi- development environment, then each of those teams has one team to deal with to make those modifications. And each of the um, modified now each of the, the platform team can deal with that stuff and the developers only have one team that they need to talk to them, and yeah. so that they're kind of working on those compliance issues. Um, I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily as straightforward as, okay, the platform team can solve everything. But to your point earlier, I think the idea is to check off as many checkboxes as you can, as well as you can, and to be a trusted advisor on if you use the platform, how do you stay in compliance. And if we run into an issue that the platform team can help negotiate with the appropriate you know, um, compliance body uh, with um, how, how can we resolve this in a way that it'll be resolved not just for this one team, but potentially for every team downstream. And I think just it sets that iterative process up around the compliance piece to over time make it better and easier to stay compliant.
0: What about, um, I mean, you mentioned like, yeah, this cloud provider trying to do kind of commerce transactions was actually a lot more squirrely, if you will. That's a technical term. Um, a lot more squirrely mm-hmm. than uh, than a, a regulated right. uh, entity that you would think and probably does have a lot of requirements. Um, is that something you, that you know you've seen kind of be pretty consistent? Where you know everyone has a pile of requirements. It's just a different degree of who like how well they're understood, and is there actually someone potentially already in the organization who might know how to deal with all of them?
1: Yeah. Um, The Wells Fargo situation, there was definitely people who you would bring in to that conversation who kind of knew how to deal with the generality of policy, right? They may not know all the specifics down to total detail, but they know... You know, I think that topic is covered over here in this section of this document. And so you need to talk to these people to figure out how to resolve it. Um, And I think, uh, on the other hand, I think there are many organizations where at a very, very high level, they say, okay, um, you know, if you're doing certain kinds of activities, you need to talk to legal. If you're doing certain kinds of activities, you need to talk to accounting. If you're doing certain kinds of activities, you need to talk to, you know... um, Right, you know, compliance or whatever the, the, the group might be. That that adjustment is um, the, that that difference is really why every single company that we've talked to, some people have good order around how they customize mm-hmm. path to production for people. So it's it's just not automated. Yeah. it's not very automated. But every single company right now, I think, that gets the platform thing, gets the acceleration benefit, but then slams into the wall of, um, of how do you deal with um, all the, the compliance. stuff. So the, I think, the, you know, to get back to the concept of a go-to-market strategy, I think your go-to-market strategy has to be, um, first, have I actually built the right service around the platform product that I'm delivering? And um, do I have the right elements? And I don't think that has to be big, onerous, large staff kind of stuff. I think what it has to be is you have to at least have your, you know, you know some program managers um, as a part of the team um, understand uh, those elements where they have to reach out to the rest of the organization for the platform to be valuable. Um, and then I think you're going to Mark says, instead of advertising, we have this platform come use it. I think um, you're better off marketing what you're doing is saying hey we have this way of getting your code to, this, to production that's a thousand times easier than what you'd experience if you went on it went to it on your own yeah come check it out right? so
0: what's the MVP m- model in this scenario where just to get like one customer right the mm-hmm, customer mm-hmm. being an app team just to get one customer through this you've got, that's a pretty uh, potentially complex MVP, just for one. Is there, is there a, an MVP model that someone can use? I
1: think you can build out the MVP for the first customer um, by understanding what their path to production would be without the platform, um, and then in the course of getting that application onto the platform, um, doing the work required to automate the low-hanging fruit or whatever, kind of easy stuff to get going. But I, I think build automation is absolutely required. I think deployment automation is absolutely required. So if you want to say what's the MVP, at least make sure that you have an environment that can do CI/CD in some reasonable way that's extensible in terms of the processes. Um, but, um, but I think you can add some things of value into the picture like you know auditing documentation so a, a lot of stuff and you can you know set up auditing controls for the running application plus document everything you do to build and deploy the, the document relatively easy because the platform can output all of that information for you
0: mm. okay i mean so it sounds like maybe for that mvp there's still a little bit of like the the man behind the curtain happening
1: I would expect, I mean, this is a complex problem, as you said. I I, I don't want to, you know, overstate the simplicity of yeah. solving all these problems. This is the, the service you're offering. Um, and so I think you'd have to start with what's the, what's the you know, first thing of value we can do for developers to come here that makes their life easier. And I think CICD is a great first step, mm-hmm. right, without having any compliance check stuff. But I think you're going to run into... Well, everything hits, hits a wall. I mean, the, the most common examples I see is everything hits a wall um, after everything's been built and is ready to go to staging, um, but um, is not absolutely not allowed to go to production until it um passes the following gateways, right? When you hit that wall, um, that's your, you know, theory of constraints stuff, right? It's just, that's your constraint. That's the thing that's gonna build up your work in progress. And that's the thing that you should go kind of look at to see if you can attack first. And there, your your way of attacking the problem will vary depending on what that obstruction is. It, it may be about shorting the, the approval time, um, automatically generating documents to make approval easier. Something along those lines may be you know, sort of what comes out of that picture. And you may even find that the early development teams are willing to help with some of that um, and, and help build code that can be used by the platform team. And I would not be, Reticent to um, ask for that help or to to have conversations with the development teams about you know the the ways that you can again automate their path to production, make that easier, but then reuse that uh, information. Yeah. uh, Those at least those activities for other um, teams when they come in. Okay. And over time, you'll learn some patterns. Hopefully, um, that will allow you to begin to say, well, here's a default complete end-to-end path to production chain that we think all apps should start with but there are ways to customize or add st- steps or, or add activities to different um, steps um, where needed because because um, you know I, I I'm one who believes very strongly that um, w- when you lock down the opinion too much and don't allow other um, opinions or customization of that opinion, Um, that's the point at which support for what you're doing will start to fall apart because there will be those things that pop up that just can't be done that way. And so the whole thing kind of goes out the window. And um, so, you know, that's a big thing for me is that's why the tooling is really important. Not only that the platform allows you to to manage services in a way that can be, allow you to offer, like, different types of services for different scenarios or whatever, but also that um, the build chain environment allows that extension as well.
0: Okay. Um, to kind of come back to you were starting to walk through what your go-to-market strategy should be, you know, make sure you're building the right thing effectively Um, and then I don't know if I sort of took you off on a tangent around the, the MVP question but you know, just to come back to that thought what else is sort of in building that MBA, uh, that go-to-market strategy? So,
1: if you look at what product companies do to take stuff to market, there's there's really sort of three key areas that they're focusing. So, one is they want to educate um, those that are going to discuss and evangelize um, the product to others. So that's you know educate the sales force, educate the um, sales engineers. And in the case of an internal product, I'd be mean, what you wanna do is go educate the champions for platform use in the di- different business divisions. Um, usually they're gonna be development team members, senior technologists, maybe architects. Um, but you wanna go out and, and, and find and educate those evangelists on, on what it is that you're offering so they can s- know that, no, you know what, the platform already does that. Or the platform could, you know, we could get that on the roadmap and that would be done in a reasonable period of time. Um, The second thing is um, there's a broadcast aspect to Mm -hmm. this, which is um, being able to understand, uh, you know, basically having collateral that's available, a brand, um, things along those lines. There's a a big push, I think, among pivotal customers um, to really begin to figure out how to brand the platform. And I think the reason for that is because it is a service offering to the rest of the organization. So it's really good to have something that people can say, You know, instead of say, the platform, they can say, you know, uh, Bob or whatever your brand is. And then the third thing is um, then you need sort of a a, a process, a go-to-market kind of uh, sales cycle would be typically the term, or, or sales process would be the typical term in a product company. But I think in an internal project. It's an onboarding process. You need a way for once people discover you and want to know more, and then want to try it, and then want to do a, a serious prototype, and then okay, now I'm going to use it. You need to be able to give them a way to guide them through that. Um, I would argue, preferably self-service as much as possible, mm-hmm. so that you don't um, you don't have create a huge need and demand for human resources in order to be able to support that. Um, but uh, but you have to figure out for your organization what's the right thing to do there and what's the right uh, process and play to have to get people on board. And then that's another element of the service design that's really important to iterate on. In addition to what the platform functionality is, that onboarding process is really important to have the product manager uh, at least pay attention to.
0: Yeah, this is something where, you know, just as a as a product marketer by... By craft or trade um, you know you can see the difference sometimes between a product that's built with the the effectively the marketing and the, the proliferation in mind versus one that's not right and it, you can see a lot of the especially the kind of SaaS offerings a lot of consumer software you know folks have gotten really clever in terms of you know whether you want to call it growth hacking or what, but they've they've really started to tune in and it's true, like they have to build that into the product. And you have if you have a product manager who's not receptive to that, then you know, you're gonna struggle because there's a lot of ways where, well, you know, we wanna be able to offer a like a free trial version, right? And I'm thinking about right. on the commercial side, not an internal product. But you, you see this with well start with a free trial but you know give them away inside the trial to, to upgrade, right? right? Instead of having to make it a painful process of, right. well, actually you're gonna have to go re-download right. everything, right? That's yeah. that's an unnecessary friction in the experience. Or, you know, things like, hey, once you've you've activated your account, right, you downloaded our app and you you signed up, well now like, you know, you can't pop the, the champagne cork yet because they could just abandon that uh, immediately so then, you get how do you follow up you got their email address so yeah. like fel- follow up with an email like tell them hey here's how to get started like gamify it a little like like let them get their first achievement unlocked within you know just by walking to the bathroom right I'm using like the Fitbit analogy where <laughs> I don't know if you ever used that but you seriously got that first achievement like just walking <laughs> to the bathroom 10B. and you're yeah. like oh cool I unlock and I, then they make it harder but right. you know it's that those notions I think can totally be applied on an internal product right if someone has to register on your platform with their internal email send them a follow-up email like with that collateral with that kind of onboarding welcome experience so that you know they they know how to take the next steps and you you can retain them as a as a customer, if you will.
1: Yeah, I think the the scaling question is the thing people get afraid about there. And I, I just sort of say, I've never seen an even the larger enterprises. I've never seen a situation where the number of leaders that you have to interact with in order to kind of sell the platform gets to be an onerous amount. Um, and so I think you, you look at sort of what relationships you wanna build with what people within the organization in order to kind of complete the, the transition. And I, I like the idea of the emails and I think, uh, you know, that that's absolutely the kind of thing that you should be doing um, uh, to, to make people feel like they're, they're welcome and comfortable. The, another thing I, I think is just, you know, people wanna go through architectural transformation as part of sort of app modernization, as a part of adopting the platform too. And that's happening in a few customers. And so the, 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 the tendency, I think, is to think, so unless your app's ready to be on a modern architecture, you know, we don't want to deal with you. But I, in my personal opinion, I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I mm. think letting people understand and see the path to production, just the beginning of the path to production is easier, even if the app's not compliant and never going to get to production in the long term. Um, understanding that there, there are these guideposts and these things that help you make sure that you uh, your application will be compliant downstream with new architectures with everything else, um, I think that's way more valuable. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, th- having just a, a sandbox environment that um, that you're much more kind of comfortable and flexible with allowing to happen, uh, whatever the developers want to play with there, but it's secure and safe and not production. Um, I think that's really a critical piece of the puzzle too.
0: That makes sense. I was talking to a customer, you know, not too long ago, maybe a month ago, and they they were talking about, you know, they have a lot of uh, legacy WebSphere applications, and from other customers I talked to, you know, who have a whole slew of legacy apps, it's they, those teams feel overwhelmed and buried right. in just trying to keep up with. You know patches and updates, and they're on way outdated right. versions, and they 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 feel like they can't find any time to do any of this, and so asking them to your point to like oh yeah sure you can come on this great shiny new platform you just got to rearchitect the whole thing right. <laughs> is like yeah like no thanks right so you know this this platform uh, team they 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 tried they took the the liberty build pack they made a few modifications and then they kind of went around to team just like in their sort of I don't know if they mm-hmm. called it sandbox, but it wasn't prod, but they just said, just try it. Just right. just, just right. try it, right? See if it works. Right. And what they found was uh, most of the time it, it worked, right? right? And it was, yeah. hey, a pretty low barrier to just get something on the platform, give them a little bit of taste of, oh, gosh, this is going to be a lot easier. And exactly. I like then you can start to work with them to build out not only exactly. more of what requirements they have, but... You know, over time, they get freed up to the, be able to go back to some of those apps and say, I think that's the one we really do want to re-architect right. a bit and and invest more. But yeah. we, we were too buried in our tech debt to, to yeah. think about investing in that.
1: And just one quick more comment on it. So the the question we've been going around and beginning to talk to the, the leadership of platform teams about is, you know, the question they should be asking their teams when the teams think they've made an accomplishment or want to propose a change the way they're doing things. Is very simply um, great. Do the developers love it, right? Mm. I mean, very very simple question. Get the get the attention turned away from how do we how do we work the mechanism so that we make our immediate leadership happy and shift the attention to how do we how do we build the service and create a service that makes our end users and our ultimate customers happy.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, that seems like a good place to yeah. pause. But great, great chatting with you, um, and uh, I think there's a, a lot of illuminating ideas for folks. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, thank you so much.